Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will begin looking at Ephesians 3, 14-19 as we look at this incredible prayer that Paul makes on behalf of the people there in the church at Ephesus. And as we get into that, I want to ask you about powerful prayers because we have this example, but there are other examples in Scripture. So when we think of that, what do you think of when you think of a powerful prayer? We have some examples for us. Uh, Judges chapter 16, uh, verses 28 and 30, we have a prayer that is made on behalf of, or by Samson. And he says, oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me the, uh, only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes and let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed all of his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and all the people who were in it. That was a pretty powerful prayer. Uh, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 to 38, he says, O oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. So Elijah makes a pretty powerful prayer there in 1 Kings chapter 18 at the top of Mount Carmel. Of course, the battle of the gods, so-called, where you have the prophets of Baal and so forth. So that was a pretty powerful prayer. And uh, that one's even uh, not that exact prayer, but uh, Elijah himself is referenced in the book of James uh, for uh, being one who believes and it talks about how he prayed for rain, even when there was none in the time of drought, which shortly follows this account there. So there's some pretty incredible prayers there. Of course, we could go on, but in a short episode like this, we can't. So we'll just stop there. But we should make the point here as we discuss this prayer by Paul that we can also pray powerful prayers. Uh, that isn't just left to people like Samson or Elijah or even the Apostle Paul. Uh, we can do the same thing. Uh, does it mean that we can call down fire from heaven? Probably not. Uh, but let's look at what a powerful prayer uh, is, okay? So we can and should pray powerful prayers. And in verse 14, uh, we should always recognize the power behind our prayers. Let's take a moment and read the text. Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth and on earth is named. All right? We should always recognize the power behind our prayers. First, there is a powerful gospel behind our prayers. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That is talking about everything that is leading up to that. For this reason, there's a lot of connections to the rest of the text. All the therefores and all that, well, this is another one of those connections. 
And so we have to recognize at the very outset, before he even says anything, that this little phrase for this reason connects us to the preceding uh, aspect or the preceding context, which is about our privilege as ministers of the gospel and being a part of this great mystery, this organization that was absolutely unknown and could not have been predicted by anybody until Christ said that he would do it, and it began at Pentecost, okay? And we are part of the church, and we are propelled by the gospel because God has sent us forward, and that gospel is at the very heart of the power of our prayer. We can pray powerful prayers when we recognize the powerful gospel that's behind the prayers, okay? And without going into too much, we can just say, what does the gospel do? Well, the gospel in our lives, if you're a believer, has transformed us. Is that not the most powerful thing? I mean, you know, we can't create out of nothing ex nihilo, and so we don't have that. But when we look at our lives, and of course we are created, so we're part of creation, but we have been transformed. We have been fundamentally changed at a, at a level that science can't touch, that we have no ability to affect ourselves. It is only by God's grace and his mercy. It is his gift. The gospel is absolutely powerful, and, and we now have the ability to go to God and ask of things, and that is because of the powerful gospel that changed us, has the power to change other people, and we should recognize that. What a great privilege it is to be able to go to the Lord in prayer and pray for things, especially to pray for things that God asks us to pray for. Uh, It should be counted as a great privilege, knowing that we have this incredible force behind our prayer, namely the gospel. Not only is there a powerful gospel behind our prayers, verse 14, there is a powerful posture of prayer. And Paul says this, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, some of this uh, is is clearly, there's probably some, some metaphor here, some, some symbolism, because when he says, I bow the knees before the Father, is, you know, as he is writing, is he on his knees? No, but it, it really connotes or conveys to us a posture of humility, right? So if you want to adopt a right posture of prayer, listen, can, can you pray while you're driving? Yes. You don't have to stop the car and get out and get on your knees. Uh, can you pray while you're walking? Yes. A lot of people do that or running or exercising, you name it. Can you pray sitting in your chair or in the pew at church? Yes. Okay. Do you have to bow down on your knees? No, uh, you don't have to, but at least the attitude should be there. Okay, because to bow the knees is showing humility. It's showing complete dependence upon the high and holy God. And we have to recognize that, that to at least acknowledge in our hearts to say, if I could, I would, and many people often do, I would bow my knee before God in prayer And to do so shows that he is infinitely greater than me. He is far superior to me. And I am not his equal. I'm not even close to that. I bow before him. So there really is a posture of prayer that we have to consider. Okay. The Jewish people in prayer sometimes stood with their hands outstretched. Sometimes they knelt. Sometimes they prostrated themselves before God and all the way down on their face and everything. 
Uh, kneeling demonstrates a total submission to God and reverence before him. So it's something to consider. And, and I think that that really speaks to our mindset as well, because we're not coming to God when we come to God to ask him of things. And, and if we're going to succeed in delivering a powerful prayer, we are not, um, we're not just demanding something of him. We're first recognizing the powerful gospel behind our prayer, but then we're also recognizing a, a very real position of humility in our prayers just by the aspect that we are willing, if at all able, at least in our heart of hearts, to demonstrate this humility through our posture, which is bowing the knee. And listen, uh, there have been many times that I have assumed that posture in my own office and sometimes even at church. It, it just depends. I mean, not always, uh, but if you can, you should, and you don't need to do it before other people. You can do it just before God, but it is a reminder to ourselves as much as anybody that we are dependent on God and he is God and we are not. But then as we consider this idea that we need to recognize the power behind our prayers, uh, not only have we seen the powerful gospel behind our prayers and the powerful posture of prayers, but in the last part of verse 14 and going into 15, uh, we see that there is a powerful God behind our prayers. For this reason, I bow my knees. There's the, the gospel and the posture before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So here he calls out to God and calls him Father, Father. Uh, Jesus called him his heavenly father. The term is Abba. It is a close personal uh, term, familial term. It doesn't mean, uh, I, I don't want to get too far askance on that and look at that and as some people do and get very intimate and, and maybe even borderline inappropriate that we call him daddy and, and then people, uh, can I just say that we still need to be reverent and we still need to be respectful. I think that there is a danger in a lot of churches. I'm not going to broad brush and say all, but when we lose our awe and reverence for who God is, and we just say, look at this term, this term means daddy. And look at a little kid who runs to their daddy. They don't think about, you know, all these other things. And they just run into his arms and call daddy. And I'm just going to call God daddy. Okay. Well, there is an aspect where we can go to God at any point, at any time, and, and, and there's, there's probably something to be learned from at least considering that for, um, for the purposes of, of gaining an audience with God, that we can go boldly before the throne of grace, Hebrews chapter 4, right? So there is an aspect of that, but I don't think we should ever lose sight of the fact that we are not on equal footing with Christ. We, we are not on equal footing with God. We have been lifted up to a high place and it is quite incredible, but the reason we have is because of Christ and we never want to lose sight of that. And so the fact that it is a close, intimate, familial term, Abba, like a uh, daddy, shows our position in the family of God, shows that we have been adopted, that we're not strangers. It shows all of that. I will agree and concede to that. Should we call him daddy in our prayers? Eh, I'm going to say for me personally, no. I, I don't think that that conveys the reverence that is due his name. Um, 
there may be a time and place, but it, it that gets too comfortable. Okay, so we have uh, the Father. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Um, and of course, there's another aspect there where he's addressing the first person of the triunity. Um, not to get too deep in the theological weeds here, but uh, one of the things that comes up in the topic of prayer that I've had a discussion with t- from time to time with uh, leadership in the church, especially those who, who on whom I, or I call upon to pray publicly, that we want to be careful in public prayers and, and even in our private prayers of Trinitarian confusion. That is that we don't want to ascribe to a person of the triunity a work that belongs to another person of the triunity. In other words, here's a classic example. You want to be careful, not that you're going to be like thrown out of heaven or lose your salvation here. Uh, but if you're praying to God and you start your, your prayer off as God the Father and you're talking to him, you don't want to thank the Father for dying on the cross because that was something that the Son did. Okay, um, if, if that makes sense. But I would say, generally speaking, you know, and here is this topic of prayer. It'll come up from time to time, so it's it's always good to have this discussion. But generally speaking, one of the things that we want to do is we want to make sure uh, that that we understand that. And generally, as just a broad generalization, we are praying to God the Father unless otherwise specifically noted. And so here he says, Father. And we often pray that way because the model prayer, I'm not going to say the Lord's prayer. Uh, it's often, I think, mistakenly called the Lord's prayer, but the model prayer that Jesus sets before his disciples in Matthew 6 and and in the parallel passages in the synoptics, our Father who art in heaven is addressing the Father. And he models that in his earthly prayer, addressing it to the Father. Can we pray to Jesus? Yes. Uh, and, and we see examples of that, although not as replete in the New Testament, uh, not as many, as copious as, as prayers to the Father, but we do see that. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Okay? So we do have that. But, but generally speaking, unless otherwise noted, prayers are directed to God the Father. And of course, that is just a general term for God is going to be generally the first person of the triunity and so forth. I don't want to get too deep into that. I don't want to read more into that than we ought to, but he is indeed powerful. And how do we see his power? Well, again, we see this and this comes up all the time. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Every time it comes up, we need to be reminded continually of the fact that God is the creator. And that comes up in scripture so much more than just the book of Genesis comes up all throughout the old Testament comes up all throughout the new Testament comes up again in the book of revelation. As we come into the, the judgment of the end of time, that God is the one who is authority authoritative over creation because he created everything. God has absolute rule over everything. But here we see the power, not just in creation in general, but with regard to humanity, with regard to the basic family unit from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, there is nobody apart from God. There, it, it does, there is no example that you can find on earth of a family, of a person who exists apart from the power of God. That is powerful. So when we go to God in prayer and we're recognizing that, you know, we have the opportunity to 
to pray something powerful, recognize, first of all, there's great power behind our prayer. There's a powerful gospel behind it. There's a powerful posture of prayer. But even more importantly, if I can say this, there is a powerful God behind our prayers because that God is the one who created us. He's the one who made the gospel available through Christ and orchestrated everything. He's the one who's offered it to us. He's the one who sustains our life. He's the one who created us. He knew, he knew us before uh, even one moment of our existence came to be. He knitted us together in our mother's wombs. He knew every one of our days before one of them came to pass. He knew every one of our words, every one of our thoughts. He knew everything because he's powerful and we owe him our existence. We get to pray to him. <laughs> wow. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And so as we now are beginning this discussion on a powerful prayer, we should always recognize the power behind our prayer. And brothers and sisters, we have incredible, infinite, we can't even describe the power that is behind our prayers. To God be the glory. Well, we'll stop our episode right there and we'll pick it up in verse 16 in our next episode as we continue to look at this idea of praying powerful prayers, just like the Apostle Paul did. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.